0: Hey friends, welcome to the Redeemer Queen's Park podcast. Redeemer exists to help connect Jesus to people, people to community and community to mission. We're gathering on Saturdays at 3pm to worship God and fellowship. If you ever have any questions or if we could be of help in any way at all, then please give us a shout at hello at RedeemerQP.com. We hope you'll be encouraged as you hear another one of our Bible Talks let's listen to the next episode and shame grows from wounds that we've experienced shame can even grow from wounds and shame can lead us to have thoughts that say i am no good i am worthless i am damaged shame can also come from aspects of life over which we have no control A disability comes our way. A weakness is ours or infertility. Being cheated on, being lied to, being divorced. We can experience acts that we can't control that make us feel different ways. We can feel shame through situations that are of no fault to our own. Shame is a deep sense that we are inherently flawed, unacceptable, and unworthy of love because of something we've done Something done to us, and it leaves us in a permanent place where we feel like we're not lovely and we're not lovable. Yet, shame can also come from our sin. It can also come from our rebellion against God, which is the very very point of Easter in and of itself. We can feel hopeless in our ability to change, And we can feel helpless about how the future will go based on the people we are in the past that we've had. Weirdly, shame even leads us to become very harsh critics. Harsh critics of ourselves. Harsh critics of the people around us. When we believe the lie that we are unlovely and we are not lovable, We become very critical of our own selves, hating ourselves, hating to look in the mirror, hating to think about who we are, hating to think about our futures. And becoming very critical people, we become critical of other people as well. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 48, tells us about a woman who was consumed with shame. And it's a beautiful story. And it's an Easter story because Jesus comes along to lift this woman up out of her shame and to take her to a different place. It's the story, it's the story we all need when we all feel shame in our own lives as well. And listen, I get an Easter weekend chance some of us just kind of turn up at church for the first time or the first time in a, in a while. Let me, let me just tell you up front as a pastor, church is not the place where you come to get yelled at, where you come to be, uh, just get pummeled and come to have somebody just cut you really low. There might be other churches in this town that are about that, but that's not what we're about around here. And we do need to talk about some things that might feel pretty direct. They might lead to a sense of heaviness. But there's the only way into the light is through the darkness. The only way to the resurrection is through the grave. So we need to let the sting of shame be real if we're going to be able to have some relief. So let's go have it. Luke chapter eight, verses 40 to 48. I just want to walk with you through this story of this woman consumed with shame. And I want you to I want you to see the different characters in this story. So, Let's just study this passage of the Bible together. Look at verse 40 right there. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there, became, there came to him a man named Jairus, who was a ruler in the synagogue. Story about shame doesn't be begin with the woman who had shame. It begins with somebody else. And this is to set up an important contrast for us. This person, Jairus, comes and falls at the feet of Jesus, begging him to come to his house because Jairus is feeling it. Jairus has a daughter who's 12 years old and she's extremely sick to the point of death. And here's the Savior of the world standing with the ruler of the synagogue at his feet, thinking about the emotions that this father had for this daughter. He's pouring out his heart to Jesus. There's a sense to where Jairus is even taking some shame on himself, being an upstanding man, like the top guy in the synagogue, runs up to Jesus, falls down. Would have been a distinguished man wearing a long robe, a man wearing a robe. Yeah, but hey, we live in 2022. So walking up to Jesus, falling down at his feet. This is Jairus. He He was desperate. He had a daughter, so he implored Jesus to come. She was sick. Look who else you see. You also see right here in verse 33, there was this woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Now you can go and you could turn over and you could read in the gospel of Mark, a parallel account of what you see here. And Mark just gives us a few details. Luke, this account that you have, was actually written by a doctor, written by a physician. Yes, businessman, full-time job, not to be a local church pastor or minister, yet he's out here scribbling out most of the New Testament. And when Luke goes to tell us, Luke can say large concepts in few phrases because he really understands what's going on. You go check out Mark's telling of the story, and Mark has to give you lots of words because he didn't understand the nuance of the situation in the moment. And Mark goes on to tell us that this this woman, this blood issue, this issue of blood that was hers for 12 years, she had spent all of her money, she spent the entire life savings trying to get well, and that she suffered at the hand of many physicians. Having a discharge of blood might be a polite way of saying that she had some sort of disease, she had some sort of physical problem, That produced an uncontrollable menstrual flow. She was sick and she was suffering. Her suffering was severe. She was in chronic pain. And socially, she would have been ceremonially unclean and unfit to get around the people of God. I mean, she wasn't allowed in public. You think about this. We spent, in this town, we spent, I don't know, depending on how strict you were, maybe 12, 14 good months around lockdown sort of conditions. Can you imagine 12 years? Because that's what she had. It means no one touched her for 12 years. It means she was considered categorically unclean. By the community she lived in for 12 years 12 years without a hug 12 years without a handshake 12 years without another human looking you in the eyes and treating you with dignity and respect 12 years so she's an outcast she's lonely maybe she had hopes maybe she had dreams maybe she aspired for some friends maybe she desired a husband maybe she wanted to have a different role in community and society but this was hers so you have Jairus the ruler of this synagogue daughter that's of 12 that's ill and then you have this woman this nameless faceless woman she's been sick for 12 years And she's trying to get to Jesus. It's a picture of our world today. The top man in a company. The top woman in an organization. A person who has all their needs met. A person that should be able just to call out favors from, not from God, but from their bank account and their own social clout. Desperate need of Jesus. And here it is. Someone overlooked by society. Rejected cast aside unwanted her don't even need to look at her and they both need jesus the woman's a picture of shame let me be really careful here she's a picture of shame in one sense she's a victim she didn't choose her condition She didn't subscribe to some program where I can just have this feeling in my life and I can go about my life this way. Yet, I want you to see this at the same time, when you get back from the story, we can learn that biblically she represents the uncleanness that we all have from our sin. The Levitical laws of which Jairus is here standing and representing. They were there to keep this woman separated from society. This woman is representative of the fact that Israel as a nation was supposed to have these rules in place that whenever they came into some sort of sickness, they would have to be honest about the fact there's something not right with me where I can't approach God. We're all uncleanness. It's It's a theme going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So in the immediate sense, this woman represents someone who feels shame because of things that are out of her control, yet at the same time, she's a picture of Israel. She's a picture of all people that need God to come and to cover up our shame. So the point is, whether our shame is legitimate or whether it's a shame we have brought on ourselves, or whether it's a shame that has been cast on us by other people, Jesus is the solution for both. So look in verse 44. She came up behind him to touch the hem of his garment. Uh, Legends around the time of Jesus. Uh, You can go and you can read other Christian writers and non-Christian writers, and you can see the different things that people were saying about Jesus. Different rumors, different myths were growing around him. And one of them is that he was actually coming through like an eagle and there was actually healing in his wings. And if you could even touch the outskirt of like a piece of his clothes, like you might even get swept away with him. Maybe this woman had some of this. Maybe she didn't. But she comes along and she secretly makes her way through the crowd. 12 years in hiding, 12 years away from people. She makes her way through and she touches the edge of his clothes. When you think about it, it's something that Jesus shouldn't have been able to detect. I mean, walking through the crowds, I love the opening phrase, and they, there were so many people that the crowds were going to crush him. It's right? walking, walking through Portobello Road on a, a Saturday morning. It's the crowds. It's If you're over at Wembley later this afternoon, Watching the match, it's the crowds. But here it is. It's the crowds. They're, they're all around Jesus. And Jesus can detect that something has happened. And so Jesus, in verse 45, he says, who touched me? Now, I love Peter, right? No one, no one's going to claim it, but Peter's around and, and Peter's like, Jesus, there's lots of people here. Anybody could have touched you. I mean, can you imagine? This guy's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. Can you imagine Jesus? Peter, oh man, thank the Father that you were here. You were so helpful. Lots of people were touching Jesus. But there was something different about the way that this person touched Jesus. Because this person who knew shame, this person reached out to Jesus and touched Jesus in faith. Lots of ways to get around. Lots of ways to be around God. It's almost a comfort for us being Easter weekend, turn it up at church. It's like, don't worry, this thing won't make you a Christian, you know. Just like bumping into Jesus won't change your life. He did go to the cross. He was buried in the ground. He did rise again. And it actually doesn't make a whole lot of difference in our lives unless we, like this woman, reach out to Him and touch Him in faith. There are things that are going to be true and somehow the infinite God has allowed that decision to come down to you and me. Will we just see Him? And will we just say, there He goes? Or will we make our way to Him? And will we too reach out and touch Him in faith? Verses 47 and 48 tells us what happened next. Jesus wouldn't let her steal a miracle away. Jesus calls her up, trembling and terrified. She just wanted to be healed and to go away. And Jesus won't allow for it. Jesus has her come. And she pours out her heart. And Jesus says, daughter. He doesn't call her stranger. He doesn't say, you shameful person. He doesn't say, ma'am. He doesn't say, sister. He doesn't say, friend. He says, daughter. By the way, it's the only place in the Gospels where someone gets called daughter. It's the kind of word you never use for someone you've just met. And think about the contrast. She doesn't have a father. She doesn't have a top man as a dad in the synagogue who's going to make his way to Jesus, who's going to flash his credentials and get a calling with the Lord. She doesn't have any of that. She has 12 years of isolation, 12 years of not being touched, 12 years of not being looked at, 12 years of not being called, 12 years of not being checked in with, 12 years of somebody never saying, I'll pray for you or can we bring you something? Ceremonially unclean, unfit, cast aside from the rest of the world. And there's Jairus. Seems like a good man. Let's not be hard on him, but he has a daughter of 12 years old, teenage girl, similar age, similar stage, and she's sick as well. Don't miss it. Jairus is a dad who's pleading with the cause of his 12-year-old before Jesus, but this woman of 12 years has no one no one to plead her calls for her except Jesus. And Jesus will. And Jesus says, Your faith has made you well. And that is the great possibility with Easter weekend. It can be that our faith has made us well. It comes down to us, will we reach out to Him in faith? So it typically happens. And what's incredible about this story, if you really, like you've read a lot of the Old Testament or the first parts of your Bible, if you had all these rules and all these regulations before your eyes as you're reading this, you'd want to throw up an objection. You want to say, Jesus, wait a minute. This person is unclean. And when this person who is unclean comes into contact with you, now you're unclean, Jesus. How are you out here Touching people that are unfit. Touching people who are unclean. And just telling them you're fine? What's the secret of the Gospel? It's what we can't see on the surface. But what's going on right here is the woman's uncleanness is being transferred onto Jesus. As She has faith in Jesus. The very things that made her unclean make her well as she has faith in Jesus you think about it with sickness um some of us have had various variations of COVID like I mean we we have anything from a cold to a sniffle You, you think about it when it comes to sickness like here at the school um health doesn't rub off from other people and onto you the sickness rubs off from you onto other people so when the kids run well you know Most of the time, maybe. I don't know. Like we keep them from school because we don't want one sick one to get in there and contaminate the other 20. This is so much of what we've been dealing with the last two years. And you think about it. Jesus' health is what rubs off onto her. Jesus' cleanliness is what rubs off on her So whenever an unclean thing touches a clean thing, with Jesus the roles are reversed. Jesus silently takes her uncleanness onto Himself. And this is what we've been anticipating. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 says, Surely He took our pain and and bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. This is what we celebrate at Easter Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace it was laid on him. The uncleanness had to find a home in Jesus. The sin had to find a home in Jesus. The terrible things that I've done to other people they found a home in Jesus. All those thoughts that we've ever thought, they had to find a home in Jesus. All those dangerous scrolls on social media between 12 p.m., and 12 a.m. and 3 a.m., they have to find a home in Jesus. All the, the lying and the backbiting and the gossiping and the storytelling, they all have to find a place. And for the Christian, they find a home in Jesus. They get secretly transferred from us unto him as we reach out to Him, as we, we too, we touch Him in faith. So in chapter 53, verse 6, is the great reality for all of us today. We all like sheep. We have all gone astray. Each of us, we have turned our own way. And what the Lord has done in grace, He has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. the bottom line of Christianity is kind of surprising. The bottom line of Christianity isn't, so sign up and perform this list of rules. How miserable. Like, get me far away from anything that sounds like that. The bottom line of Christianity is that God has sent a Savior. Here He is. He's done it all. Believe on Him and you can be saved. The Lord taking all the iniquity, all the sin, all the dark stuff, all the stuff that wasn't that bad, it just wasn't good, and heaping it on to Him. Jesus took this woman's uncleanness onto Himself so she could go home, so she could be restored, so she could have peace. And it all happened as He hung On that cross, forsaken by his father, so this woman could go clear and clean. So, to those of you this afternoon whose shame comes from something you've done, I read this and I think about the things that I've done, the mistakes you've made. Hear the gracious offer of the gospel this afternoon. Jesus offers you cleansing. Through his substitutionary death on the cross, Jesus went to a cross so you could go home in peace. Seth, let's put that on the screen. So think about this this afternoon. When you touch Jesus in faith, the guilt, the penalty of your sin, similar to this woman's uncleanness, it can pass off of you and it can pass on to Jesus. This is where Christians sing that song. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And when sinners plunge beneath that flood, they lose all their guilty stains. That can be yours. You can pass all of your uncleanness off of you and on to Jesus. And all you get to receive in response to that is a new name and a new identity. Jesus looking at people calling her daughter. Now the next point, to those of us whose shame comes from things that have been done to you. We've all experienced this in different ways around the room as well. You need to hear Jesus' response to this woman because it is His response to you. If you reached out to him, you've touched him in faith. He calls you daughter. That identity outweighs all the other identities she carried. That word outweighed all the other words that she heard. The fact that she was looked at by Jesus. The fact that she was named by Jesus. That changed her life. It absolutely changed her story. And her future was different. The word from Jesus to those of us here today in shame is that you are not damaged. You are not second rate. You are not unworthy. You are not unloved. So one day, the writer of Hebrews says, God is going to take you that once knew shame. And He is going to enthrone you above the angels. And all of heaven will marvel at the grace and the kindness of our God who saves people like He saved you. So what does it mean for those of us stuck in shame? I'm supposed to be done, but i got just a few things I need to give you quickly. So I'm going to give them to you quickly. It means for those of us in shame, it means we need a few things. And let me just unload these to you in rapid fire fashion. So for those of us in our shame, we need to embrace the fact of our shame. Genesis chapter 3, our first parents were running around in the Garden of Eden. And they disobeyed God. And they felt, what, what, what was it? What did they feel? Shame. Responding to God, hey, where are you? Look, we heard the sound of you coming. But we felt shame, so we had to go Hide. Nakedness is vulnerability in all of us in different ways. We all know the feeling of nakedness. We all know the feeling of vulnerability. We all desire to cover this up in different ways. A lot of people run through the streets of this neighborhood in particular covering it up with our jobs, covering it up with our cars, covering it up with our homes, covering it up with our bank accounts and with our fashion and our connections and who we can name drop, but we're all covering it up. What we need in our shame is we need to embrace the fact of our shame. The second thing we need in our shame is we need to have our stories heard. Like this woman, we need to know what it is to actually have a moment when we too come out of the shadows. Shame thrives in secrecy. This is one of the big reasons why here at Redeemer, we're big on community groups. Because community groups make this big room small. You can get around a few people. Maybe you're not going to stand up one week and talk about the junk that happened last week, but you might get around three or four. It's an opportunity to have your story heard. Have those deep, dark parts of us found out with close friends in community over time. We expose and we verbalize those parts of us where we do feel unworthy. Those parts of us where it does feel like, why would anyone ever touch me again? And we get into friendships with each other over time as trust grows and we share our real selves with each other. Because like this woman, we too, we need to have our story heard. We all need to have our sins confessed. We need to have our weaknesses named in community. It's what we need. Thirdly, we need to have our head lifted. In this story, it's Jesus who takes the initiative. It's Jesus who lifts up this woman's head before she can lift it up herself. The greatest secret is the power of a new life. It begins with a new identity. And Jesus gives her everything she needs to live a different way. Jesus gives her a different name. And we walk around throughout the week, no matter how bright the sun shines and no matter how warm the temps climb, with an adversary who's nipping away at us all throughout the week, who's reminding us of who we used to be, who's reminding us of how you used to act, reminding us of what you used to be known for. And he's coming, and he doesn't stop. But when he comes, he comes to point to what you used to do. And when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit comes not to convict of, of right, of sin, but for righteousness. Not to point to what you used to do, but to point to what Christ has done for you and to remind you and to whisper to you who you are because of Jesus. The Holy Spirit starts with what Christ has declared over you and rebuilds that identity inside of you. Fourthly, we need to be restored to loving community. Feeling the embrace of Jesus is the first touch point, And it actually gives us the courage to engage with community. And we get in a place like this and as trust builds over time, we share our lives with one another. We find ourselves coming a little early and sticking around a little later. We find ourselves ending up in homes and restaurants and pubs sharing ourselves with each other. That's what God wants for you. That's why He's formed a church. A bunch of broken people that He's putting back all the pieces in their lives. So know this, the road to healing from shame begins as soon as we speak about it. And it comes through the shadows and into a local church. We have a bunch of people that were once known for bad things they've done and bad things that have been done to them that are walking around under new names of sons and daughters. The final thing we need is to be saved from our shame. And I promise I'm almost done. Gil, come up here to convince the people. The problem with running around in the Garden of Eden is that you can't cover yourself. The problem with Jairus is that he can't fix what his well-to-do daughter is carrying. And the problem with this woman is is that she does not possess the resource and the capacity to fix herself. And so it is a picture of us all. Romans chapter 4, verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. And this is what we celebrate on Easter weekend. We celebrate Jesus, God Himself, Going to a cross, taking on the iniquity of us all. Going through the humiliating death to save us from our sins. We can know what it is to have our sin covered. Not in a way that just makes us feel good for a couple of hours. or makes us feel like we just tricked them in another social interaction but in a way that gives us confidence deep inside ourselves. It gives us an inner heart peace. And we need to remember this, and we got to keep coming back to this. This is why you have like the Bible continues. We got to see this explained and we got to see this worked out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 says and that is what some of you were that word is a very encompassing list. You can go check it out for yourself sometime. But this is the word that the church had to hear. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Psychologists say that three of our biggest needs are to feel morally safe, clean, and significant. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. You were washed you were justified you were sanctified you were washed you've been made clean because of the blood of jesus you have had a verdict pronounced over your life not a verdict of guilt but a verdict of justified not by anything that we've done but all by the work of this jesus on this cross The result is that we can be sanctified. We can be set apart in God's eyes. Thus, we too can know what it is to be significant. This is what Jesus intended for us. This is what Good Friday was all about. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. We see like the motivation is we're surrounded by all of these misfits that couldn't cut it. All these people that had sin, all these people that had shame. And yet God desired to go to the cross And it was for the joy that was set before him that led him to endure and led him to experience that shame. So think about this in the midst of your own shame. Jesus Christ was so perfect. He was so lovely doing his Father's will, yet joy played a factor for him in obedience. He was looking ahead. He was looking past the cross. He was looking past shame. He was looking past suffering to joy. And what is his joy? His joy is that one day he would be seated at the right hand of his father, clothed in flesh, presenting his bride complete to his father. He found joy in his bride. He found joy in his church. And knowing that you were the joy before Jesus, And that was the matrix that allowed him to push through shame. It's the only thing that can allow Jesus to be your joy when you feel shame in your own life and in your own story. So let's bring this season to a conclusion on Easter. At the end of a season of studying the life of the emotions, let's conclude with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a comforting chapter about how the resurrection guarantees that followers of Jesus will be standing in the end. So we conclude with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 52 to 54. We will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the imperishable has been clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will become true. Death has been swallowed up into victory. So the church can then say in verses 55 to 57, Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your stink?" For us, in the midst of our emotions that we're still finding our way through in this life, we can find hope today. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory, church. Though we're still plagued, though we're still confused, Though we still battle the accusations of our enemy, victory. So as a church, at the end of a season, making our way through the life of our emotions, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it's the final word after considering the resurrection for 57 verses. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would minister to us this afternoon and this Easter weekend. We pray that you would help us to experience in the depths of our souls, what it is to be cleansed, what it is to be healed, what it is to be forgiven. Father, we thank you for the space of a few songs to sit in these truths. Father, we pray that your spirit would work powerfully in our lives to speak tenderly to us. Comfort, guide, heal, and lead like only you can, God. We look to you and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, go ahead and stand up. I we'll have a chance to sing together.